Amen. After Stephen was stoned to death, Luke records the following. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. It looks like Saul may have the final word about the future of the church. Luke says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. However, the church is not stopped. Rather, the spread of the gospel is accelerated all over Samaria. Philip, one of the men appointed along with Stephen to care for the needy widows in Jerusalem, is used by God to preach throughout Samaria. Also, Peter and John stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Well, folks, it is amazing to me that in this cold weather, we've got such a good number of folks here today. So God bless you, and may your hearts be warmed and encouraged today in the Word of God. So our last sermon in the book of Acts was on Sunday, December the 18th, that's six weeks ago. And so what I need to do really quickly is I need to quickly recap for you uh, where, where we are. So we completed part one, and part one is the establishment of the church in Jerusalem. Now we're going on to Judea and Samaria. That's part two. But let me just do a quick recap for you, shall we? So here's what Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse eight. We sometimes call this the, uh, the Great Commission. It's another version of the Great Commission that we find in at the end of Matthew. And Jesus says, but you will receive power. By the way, he's talking to his disciples, okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, okay? So we've completed part one, and that was Acts chapter, or Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 7, uh, throughout Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so today we're going to be talking about Samaria. That's why I underlined that. But uh, Jesus said to his disciples that before they should start this work, what they needed to do is they needed to wait in the upper room in Jerusalem. You can see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And we all understand that if we're going to do the work of God, if we're going to do supernatural work, we need supernatural power. How many understand today we can't do anything unless we're empowered by the Holy Spirit? Does everybody get that? Because some people don't get that. Some people think that they can go to church and they can, they can volunteer and they can do stuff, and uh, there's no question uh, or no suggestion even that maybe maybe we need something more than just our own ability, our own talent, our own skill. How many know today that our own talent and skill just is not enough? I've seen some of the very smartest people in the world who are some of the dumbest people I've ever known. Why? Because they've relied upon their own wisdom, their own strength, their own ability. But Jesus is making it very clear you cannot do the work of the kingdom without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Hey, I've got about a third of you convinced. Now I've got to get the other two-thirds convinced. And so we see in the book of Acts, look at this, because some people call this the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I, 
the church father Arrhenius said that. But I think a better way to look at the book of Acts is the work, the works of the Holy Spirit through the disciples, through the followers of Christ. And so here's the interesting thing. Uh, if, there were, if there were at Acts 29 and 30, 31, that would include what we're doing today. So what we see in the book of Acts is the beginning of the great work of the Holy Spirit in and through his church, in and through believers. So we get to Acts chapter 2, and you know what happens. The Holy Spirit falls, and all the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're waiting on God, and they're filled with the Spirit. And that little, that, that the tongue of fire, as, it, as it's described in Scripture, uh, you'll remember that over the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle was the Shekinah glory, the presence of Almighty God. And then suddenly on the day of Pentecost, I love this, suddenly it just, it, it leaves there and now it goes to the believers and divides. And so that each one of them now is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know today that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that amazing? So God does not dwell in temples built by the hands of men, but rather he dwells within his people. If you are born again, if you're converted, if you are a Christian today, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If you are not a believer, this is what the Romans chapter 8 is all about. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, then the Spirit of God does not dwell in you. So here's something very thrilling. These people then begin to speak in tongues. In fact, it, uh, people are people there from all over the world because it's the Feast of Pentecost. And everybody from all over the world is hearing their language being, being used to praise God. What's going on? Well, God is signaling to Israel and to the nations and to the heavenlies, the heavenly beings, he's signaling, I'm now coming to take the whole world as my own. Come on. I'm taking the whole world as my own. Before, it was just Israel. Israel understood that they were God's chosen people. But now God's saying, I'm going outside of Israel. I am now embracing people of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. Does this excite anybody? You look at me like you've never seen me before. I look different. Look, this is the truth. This is the word of God. God is taking the world. This is what Acts 1.8, we just read that. This gospel is going out to not just Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so what happens then is Peter stands up and preaches, and on that very day, 3,000 people become Christians and are baptized right on the spot. And then we go on to read in uh, Acts chapter 3, and four and five, we read about the persecution. We read about preaching of the gospel. We hear of, of more people coming to Christ. And, and here we are coming to the end of chapter, uh, chapter four. And uh, we're, we've got lots of people following Christ. Chapter five, we've got, we've got probably 20,000 believers now. It's growing that much. And what else is happening? Well, the church has been established. And uh, in case you don't know it, that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came is actually the beginning of the Christian church. We call it the birthday of the church. How many knew that? 
That's the birthday. That's when, that's when the church was born. And now we see it growing. And the other thing that's happening is just persecution. How many know that wherever God is doing his work, Satan is busy trying to undo God's work? How many know that? Yeah, you know that. You've experienced it in your own personal life. And we face it all the time. Our church faces it all the time. And thanks be to God that through Christ we are more than conquerors. We, we know the power of Almighty God at work in our midst. And so this is what we see happening in that early church. And, and the writer of Acts wants us to understand that, that the church is triumphant. It is going forward in the power of Almighty God. And we see in those first chapters, chapters 2 to 5, we see the establishment of small groups. Now, you know I had to say that because today starts small groups. So this is, a, this is a, uh, something that we do because the early church was doing it as well. But then we get to chapter 6, and now we've got a problem. It's a very serious problem. We've got division happening in the church. And that's something that we don't often think about or talk about. We are so fixated on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and all the wonderful things that happen. We don't see some of the, the nitty-gritty and what we might call the underbelly of the church. But there's division. And what's going on? Well, you see, there were, there were two kinds of Christians. There were uh, or two kinds of widows, should put it that way. There were the Jewish-speaking widows, and then there were the Greek-speaking and, and basically everything else. Let's call them Gentile widows. They're all Christians. But what's happening now is, is that the Gentile Jewish or Gentile widows are feeling that the Jewish widows are getting all the food and getting all the care, but they're not getting anything. So the apostles say, we're stopping everything. No more ministry, no more preaching, no more healing, no more nothing. We got to get this fixed because there's nothing that is worse for the church than division. Persecution doesn't hurt the church, but division does. And they say, let's, let's appoint seven men. And they appoint seven men now who will fairly distribute the food to not just the Jewish widows, but also the Gentile widows. And by the way, these seven men who are appointed, none of them are Jewish. They're all Gentiles. This is pretty amazing. So what's going on here, folks? We're seeing the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believer. And that's, that is remarkable, considering that in the Jewish mind, the Gentiles were were scum. The Gentiles were rejected of God. And now the apostles are saying, oh no, the Gentile Christians are equal to Jewish Christians. This is amazing. This is miraculous. And so that happens. And then what happens is that Stephen is, is, uh, is attacked and he is persecuted and he is brought before the Sanhedrin and he stands up and he preaches this most amazing, amazing gospel sermon that basically shows the, the, the way that the Jewish people were established and, and how eventually we get to Jesus Christ and, and Stephen stands before the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin they're called, and he basically says, you're the ones that killed Jesus. And they go nuts. And you know what happens? They stone him to death. Well, that's where we're picking up now. So Saul, Saul is there over, overseeing the stoning of Stephen. Stephen dies. And then we pick up now in Acts chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Acts chapter 8. 
and uh, look at these first three verses. It says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. That's what it says there. Now, Saul, in case you don't know it, I need to tell you this. Saul, he later becomes Paul the Apostle. But before he's the great Apostle Paul, he is a murderer. So there's hope for all of us, <laughs> right? So there's, there is Saul who becomes Paul, but he's not Paul yet. In fact, we're going to be talking about that in two weeks' time. And it says here in verse 2, that, or uh, verse 1, pardon me, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, great weeping. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church, and he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now, I want you to see something, folks. This is very important, because you may have grown up on a, a very childish brand of Christianity that says, that if you become a Christian, everything's going to go your way. You'll never have a problem ever again. Anybody grew up like that? Don't put your hand up. But you know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm telling you, if you have that view, you have obviously never read the Bible. Because we see happening what has, happens here. God actually uses this persecution, watch this, to force the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so, so this is what happens. They're forced out of Jerusalem, and now they're forced to go to Samaria. So let's take a look then. Philip, he goes to, he's one of the men that was appointed with Stephen. Remember, there were seven men appointed to distribute the food. Philip now leaves Jerusalem, and this is what it says. It says, but the believers who were scattered preached the gospel about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, you need to see this. Philip wasn't the only one, but, but Luke is talking about Philip as an example of the wonderful things. Now, wouldn't you love to know about, what, about all the wonderful things that were happening? All we have right now is Samaria, and Luke is very precise about this. He wants us to see that the gospel is going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. He wants us to understand that. So Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about who? About the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Christ, by the way, in case you don't know, it means Messiah. It's the there's same word. So they're talking about Christ the Messiah. And the crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. And many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or laying were healed. And it says, so there was great joy in that city. So what follows from verse 7 to the end of the chapter is literally phenomenal. You ever heard that word, phenomena? Phenomena meaning miraculous signs, wonders, miracles, astonishments, great thing. It literally was phenomenal, all kinds of phenomena. And I'm going to tell you this. Here's, here's what I've seen over the years. Most people, when they're reading the book of Acts, they focus on the phenomena. They love to see those parts, but they miss the main point. If you're reading 
the book of Acts today and you think it's only about miracles, signs, and wonders, you completely miss the point. And so, although we'd love to see these things, we'd love to see the signs and wonders and people delivered, and we all get great enthusiasm and, and feel great enthusiasm over these matters, I have to say, stop for a moment, not so fast. Let's slow down here. Most people miss the significance of verses 4 to 6. And what is the significance of verses 4 to 6? Well, the significance is that the gospel has come to Samaria as a fulfillment of Christ's command in Acts 1.8. How many understand today, as Christians, our job is to fulfill the commands of Christ? Hello? How many understand today that our job as Christians is to fulfill the commands of Christ? That's why we're having a missions banquet. That's why we went through the bother of putting up all these lights and these beautiful decorations. Why? What are we doing? We are preparing. Once again, we've been doing this for many years now. We're preparing once again to raise money so that we can do what? We can fulfill the Great Commission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what we're about. And that's what this is about. It's about the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't get that, you don't get Christianity, and you certainly don't get the book of Acts. You don't understand what it's about. The gospel has come to Samaria, folks, and it's for that reason that we see that there is great joy. It doesn't say there was great wonder and awe. No, something has happened within the hearts of these people who have heard the truth. Joy is, is a response, an emotion that comes from having a sense of peace, of resolution between God and man. This is a joy, folks, that you can't get in this world. This is a joy that is supernatural. This is a joy that comes from God. To these people in Samaria, it's not like, oh, they're going to see a magician. Look at this wonderful trick that I can do. I can make you speak in thongs. I can heal you. I can make your leg grow. I can make you, I can make you walk again. No, 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 no. We're talking about the greatest healing of all, and that is the healing of a heart that has been born in rebellion. Folks, when you and I were converted and born again. The relationship between God and man was healed. And that's what Christmas celebration is all about. God and sinner reconciled. You see, this is what brings joy. I'm going to talk more about that in just a second, but you need to understand what's going on here. This joy is from the preaching about the Messiah. The Messiah has come. And by the way, the, the Samaritans, they, they talked about a, a, about a Messiah. They knew about a Messiah. And they tried to figure out who that was. And you'll remember that in John chapter 4, when Jesus confronted the woman at the well, what did they talk about? They talked about the coming of the Messiah. And now, here's Philip talking to the Samaritans about the Messiah, the Messiah that they've been waiting for. No wonder there was great joy in that city. And folks, let me tell you this. If you want joy in your heart, you want the joy that comes with a peace of God that passes all understanding, it comes from surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. 
It comes by bending your knee and saying, Lord, I'm going to die to myself now, and I'm going to live as you've called me to live. So this is what's going on here. Now, you think about what Philip and these disciples could have done in their preaching or in their ministry. There's so many things they could have done. Remember that there was a great hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. In case you don't know, the Samaritan was really a half-breed. He's half-Gentile, and he's half-Jewish. And so in the Jewish mind, a half-breed is not a Jew. In fact, a half-breed is someone to be despised and hated and rejected. And so consequently, what happened is that the Samaritan people, they developed their own temple, and they had their own, their own scriptures. But there's an absolute hatred between the Jew and the, and the Samaritan. You need to understand that. Now, if you went to an expert nowadays, I say expert in quotation marks, and we wanted to follow the wisdom of modern Christian specialists in church growth and ministry, I think one of the things that these, that these uh, men who actually don't have the wisdom of God, I think they would say, well, we need a great reconciliation service. That's what we need to do will heal relations between the Jews and the Samaritans. Can't you just see that? We're going, to have, we're going to have reconciliation services. Or the specialists might say they're, they're, uh, there's a need for a justice alliance. We need to come together, Jews and Samaritans, against the injustice of the Romans. Can't you see that? Samaritans and Jews for Jesus and justice. There, I just started a new ministry, the SJJJ, JJJ. Samaritans and Jews for Jesus and justice. This sounds smart, doesn't it? Sounds clever. We can make beautiful logo out of that, make letterhead, but big banner. You can start our website, Samaritans and Jews for Jesus and justice. Or perhaps... They might have been a special service to honor and exalt women. After all, Jesus in John chapter 4, he went to the woman at the well and he talked to her and shared the gospel with her. And remember how scandalized the disciples were? What is a single Jewish man without anybody around doing talking to a woman? And on top of that, she's not just a woman, she's a Samaritan woman. These modern-day specialists and, and uh, experts, they would say, well, what we should do maybe is we should erect a statue. Let's put a statue up of Jesus talking to a woman, and we can have seminars on the weekend, and this will be our new ministry. Or perhaps, in case you're running out of ideas, I, I came up with all kinds of ideas. I, I could be a real good expert on how to do ministry in 2023. Perhaps what we could do is we could do a collection of money, clothes, and food for the poor, and we could make up for past wrong. We'll call it a guilt offering, right? But stop right there. As, as noble as all these ideas sound, that is not what Philip and the disciples did. Do you remember in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were on the way to the temple, and sitting on the ground there was a lame man. He couldn't walk. 
He said, please, can I have some money? He knew where to set people on the way to church. They feel guilty for their sin this past week. I better give some money. That might make God happy. It make him happy. Please, sir, I need some money. And what, is, what does Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. I don't have any silver or gold. I got something better. What you really need, my friend, is Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. Folks, I'm going to tell you something today. I'm going to tell you what people really need. They need the gospel. They need the good news about Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? People need Jesus Christ. We don't need any statues erected. We don't need any special seminars. We don't need any reconciliation service. What people need is Jesus. We have become experts on treating symptoms while we ignore the root problem. The root problem is that you and I are sinners and we need to be set free through Jesus Christ. That's what we need. We need Christ. We need the gospel. In case you don't know what the gospel is, let me quickly remind you. The gospel is this. You are a sinner in desperate need of the Savior. That's the good news. You need to know this. The next thing you need to know is that there is something called the second death. It's called judgment or hell, and it awaits every sinner. But the good news is that God's love has sent us the Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, and he came to die in our place, and he was resurrected from the dead, guaranteeing to you and me eternal life. This is the gospel. This is what Philip went preaching to the Samaritans. The eternal life is for all who repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And folks, after that happens, you are justified. The word justified means what? to be made right with God. Say with me, to be made right with God. That's why there's joy in Samaria, because they've been made right with God. They know they're sinners. And after they've been justified, after they've been made right with God, God begins the process of sanctifying them. That is making them holy. You need to know these terms. And folks, here's the thing that you need to know. If you become a Christian, you need to to die to yourself. That's what the gospel tells us. The gospel says you need to die to self. You and I don't know how to fix the problems in our lives. You and I don't know how to be good friends and how to be good husbands and how to be good wives and how to be good parents. But Jesus tells us how. You don't need another sermon or seminar on how to be a wonderful husband. What you need to do is just die to yourself. And the wife says, see, I told you die to yourself. That's your problem. That's why you got marriage problems. That's why you got problems with your kids. That's why you got problems at work. That's why you don't have any friends, because you're too alive to yourself. You're too self-centered. And this culture is teaching us that the best thing that you can do is to exalt yourself. And that's why everybody has 50 selfies of themselves on their phone every day. And it's posted on Instagram. Like, who cares? The gospel tells you how to live. Die to yourself and start living like Christ. Start doing his will. This is what it means to be a Christian. A Christian does the will of God every time. Right? 
You call that moment-by-moment holiness. If you are going to be holy, you're going to do the will of God every time. And then finally, the good news is that when you die, you will be glorified, which means you'll simply be made like Jesus. No more will you be touched or harassed by sin and by the temptations of this world. Somebody say hallelujah. Yes, this is the gospel. This is what was preached. This, my friends, addresses our real problem. The real problem is sin in us. Now, when people's hearts are transformed, guess what happens? Racism disappears or begins to disappear. The Samaritans and the Jews, they dwell together in harmony and love. We don't see race. We don't see color. What we see, rather, is our brother and sister in Christ. Amen? And when hearts, when the hearts of the people are transformed, justice triumphs. We don't need to go on. We don't need to, to go on a picket line. We don't need to lift the, the signs and, and protest. What we need to do is start proclaiming Christ. That's what the real need is. And we saw that in the Welsh revivals. When, when the Spirit of God moved in the Welsh valleys, my friends, they, the pubs were empty and the jails were empty. The police officers had nothing to do but play with kids on the street. And that's how that's the power of the gospel. When the gospel penetrates hearts, what happens? There's a sacred love and respect for women. There is no gender war. There is respect and equality between the sexes. This is the power of the gospel. And this is stuff that we, we, we hear no end of this in the news. This fight for women's rights and the fight for these rights and for these rights and for these rights. Look, I'm not saying these issues are not important, that maybe there's not something valid to it. But I'm telling you what the solution is. The solution is still Jesus Christ, and it's still the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen to that? And when the gospel penetrates hearts, folks, what happens is that people become generous, and they start to give. And we read that, about that in Acts chapter 4, 5, and 6. Did you know that church was the original welfare system? That's the power of the gospel. It transforms a society. People start taking care of the poor and the needy. I'm going to tell you, this is a, a uniquely Christian idea. If you go back and read history, and that is, by the way, one of the great problems today, nobody knows their history. In fact, history is being rewritten by people who don't like the good things that the church has done through the centuries. And so what you need to see is that in those early years of Christianity, the Roman, the Roman citizen thought Christians were absolutely nuts. Why are they taking care of the broken and the needy and the hurting? This doesn't make sense. These people obviously deserve what they're getting. That was the mentality. But it was the church that moved in and took care of the broken, the poor, and the needy. It was the church that was Christians who stood up and proclaimed Christ. I love the story of the little monk by the name of Telemachus, who is in Rome, and he hears, uh, he hears of the crowds and, their, and the, the, the uproar over these gladi gladiatorial uh, fights, and these gladiators are killing each other. And he runs into the arena, recognizing that these human beings who've been created in the image of God are doing something that is utterly and completely opposite to what humans should be doing. 
Humans should be loving each other, protecting each other, supporting one another, caring for one another. Instead, they're slaughtering each other, and thousands of people are rejoicing and clapping and cheering them on. And Telemachus, the little Christian monk, stands up and says, Stop, stop, forbear, forbear. One of the gladiators sticks him through, and there is the little monk. Helpless, he can't, he can't protect himself, but in the name of Jesus, he proclaimed what God's will is for every human, and that is that they function as people created in the image of Almighty God. And they say that from that day on, the gladiator fights came to an end. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to understand that today because that, my friends, is who we are and that's what we're about. When the church stops declaring the gospel, the church loses her reason to exist. It's plain and simple as that. You show me a church that's not proclaiming the gospel, I'm going to show you a church that's dying. I'm going to show you a church that's on the decline. And folks, that's why churches are closing across this country. United Church alone, I think they're closing one church every Sunday, one a week. Why? Because they don't preach the gospel. Plain and simple as that. I'm not attacking the United Church. I'm attacking any church that proclaims to be a Christian church and yet doesn't proclaim the gospel. Jesus Christ needs to be proclaimed. So, folks, you don't need sermons on fulfilling your dreams and your visions. You don't need sermons on parenting, on, on marriage, on friendship, on love, on success, leadership, environmentalism. What you need, my friends, is a declaration of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I know some churches, well, Pastor John, we're a Pentecostal church. How come we don't have Holy Spirit days? Where's our signs and our wonders? And I'll say this to you today. You obviously don't know your Bible. John chapter 16 tells us that the Spirit of God was given to glorify Christ. Not so that you can get a free show and watch people go crazy every, every Holy Ghost weekend. Just utter nonsense. The gospel calls you and me to follow Christ. And this means that we die to ourselves. It means we put others first. It means we put Christ first. It means we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. And I'll tell you this, my friends, when Jesus reigns in your heart, that's when everything starts falling into place. Got problems? Take a step back and ask yourself the question, is Jesus reigning in my heart? Am I dying to myself? It's time that the church stopped treating symptoms and start dealing with our real problem, and that is sin, indwelling sin. You know, there's, I know churches that have, have, have forbidden the use of those words, sin, hell. They don't have to use the word repentance. And yet that is the gospel. So if you're not preaching now, what on earth are you preaching? Probably a psychology lesson. And here's what Jesus says, come and die to yourself. Well, folks, my time is slipping away, but let me just read this to you. We read in, in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 13, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria. 
and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one. Imagine that, the great one. The power of God, he was called. Imagine something so blasphemous. Well, they listened closely to him because for a long time, he had astounded them with magic. Watch this. We read then in the next verses, in verses 12 to 13. But now the people believed Philip's message of the good news, which good news means the gospel, concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Watch this. Then Simon himself, the great one, the power of God, as he was called, Simon himself believed and he was baptized and he began following Philip wherever he went and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed. Now, I know some of you are asking this morning, why are there not more signs and wonders and miracles today? Why don't we see more manifestations? Why is it so rare? That's a great question. I love to see miracles. We all do. I love to see the work of God, the power of God. I'm going to skip verses 14 and 17 for a moment and move down to verses 18 to 24. Listen to this. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too. But this guy's just been converted, and here's how he's talking. Let me have this power too, he says. So that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent and your wickedness, and repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. And Simon exclaimed, pray for the, to the Lord for me that those terrible things you said won't happen to me. Folks, it's still a problem today. This is still a problem today. Signs and wonders and power, it appeals to the sinful nature. Now, I don't want anybody going away from here saying that Pastor Allen says signs and miracles are, are of the devil. They are not of the devil. They're of God. But I want you to see something that is active in the heart of everybody here today. We see it in the Garden of Eden, and we see it repeated again in the New Testament. Within every heart, there is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. This is what we see happening right here in Simon, who has just been converted. This is what's going on. Folks, understand that the, the work of the Spirit is for the purpose of glorifying Christ. The work of the Spirit is given to point people to Jesus. If that is not happening, then what you've got on your hands is something akin to a magician's show. And that's how Simon saw it. And this is what made Peter so angry. How dare you suggest that what's happening here is akin to what a a magician would do. We're all intrigued by that, let's be honest. You've all heard of Chris Angel and Houdini and Penn and Teller, Dynamo. 
When I was a kid, it was Ravine and Kreskin. Anybody remember Ravine and Kreskin? Yeah, of course you do. It's all very intriguing. But folks, what we're, what we're talking about here has nothing to do with the work of a magician. This is blasphemous, and you need to understand that. And so you want to know why we don't see the work of the Holy Spirit as we did in those times? It's because we have reduced the work of the Spirit to something that appeals to the flesh and the flesh alone. If the Holy Spirit is not pointing people to Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault, it's our fault. And that's why the Spirit of God does not move in our midst as he did at one time. And that's what happens here. I've watched, look, I've been the, can you believe I've been in the ministry for 40 years? Can you? I've watched, I've watched so many huckster evangelists who have made millions from performing so-called miracles. Sometimes they're miracles that have happened, but so often they're not. And I know how they do it. And people will come to church or to the rallies if a faith healer is coming to town. And when he asks for money, people are willing to give because they want to get, right? I'll, I'll sell out my money if I can get a miracle. You can't buy miracles. And here's the problem. You thought Christianity was about you. You thought the work of the Spirit was all about you, what I can get. But the work of the Spirit is all about Jesus and about people pointing people to Christ. You send your money in now, I'll, sell it, I'll, I'll send you some miracle spring water. You see that one? Send your gifts in and I'll send you a little prayer cloth that my wife and my children have all laid hands on and prayed over in my basement. One evangelist, he got everybody coming to the meeting to write their name, their address, and the, 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 and their prayer request, what they want an answer to prayer to. And during the meeting, his wife was looking through the list. The evangelist had a, 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 an earpiece, and she was sitting in the back saying, okay, Mrs. Smith lives on 144 Sedona Crescent, Winnipeg, got a son with the bum leg, and need healing. That's what we'd say. The Lord is telling me that somebody here lives at 144 Sedona Crescent and has a son with a bum leg. And some everybody, this is miraculous. This is wonderful. And they stand to their feet. And the people are pouring, the money's pouring in. This guy's a multi, multi-millionaire. Folks, it's exactly what Simon is doing. In fact, it's called Simony. That's why we don't see work of the Spirit the way we did in the day of Pentecost. Now, I believe that God still can work and still wants to work like this, but folks, I'm going to tell you, you need to change your understanding of the work of the Spirit. It's about glorifying Christ. And I'm going to tell you, the greatest healing of all is the healing of a heart that is far from God. That's who we are. That's what we're about. I can remember my grandparents talking about the miracles that they saw when they first became Christians. And it was all about Jesus Christ and lives transformed. It wasn't about what I can get. 
It's about what God was doing. Well, folks, we read in verses 14 to 17, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. Folks, when the Holy Spirit comes, it enables us to preach the message of Jesus Christ boldest. Read that yourself in Acts chapter 4, 31. Let me just close with this. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. I want you to see something and I'll close with this. It's all about the proclamation of Christ. That's what it means to be a Pentecostal. Did you know that? That is what it means to be a Christian. Is that Jesus Christ is glorified. And that people come face to face, face with the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. Hallelujah. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit throughout church history. Thank you for the reminder today, O oh God, that you still want to move by your spirit. But God, you will not move unless, unless Jesus Christ is being glorified, unless the gospel is proclaimed. That's what brings joy to the city. That's what brings joy to our arts. That's what brings joy to the unconverted. Oh God, do a work by your spirit in our midst. Oh God, may we see something that first century move of the Holy Spirit in our, in our midst. God, that you would be glorified and that many souls would be saved. That many souls would be saved. That many souls would be saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. The Lord go with you and give you peace. Know that your sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Amen? God bless you.